It's a sensitive, delicate deal, dragging brand new songs out of the sky. Trading ideas, accepting some, storing others in the maybe later bag, moving on and along with hardly a plan. During the Zep years, I never imagined a full-scale album project without the other guys, and even less the idea of new writing partners. But then, since 1981, I've enjoyed many amazing, exciting musicians in the sharing, in the writing, in production and engineering. Men and women who encouraged and enlightened, introducing me to crazy curves I could never have imagined. For this podcast, I'm going to be picking out some songs from here and there along the way, mixing constant shifts in sound and intention from across this long, old time. There's a story in all of them. I'm Robert Plant, and this is Digging Deep. Hello and welcome to episode three of Digging Deep with Robert Plant. I'm Matt Everett, and thank you very much for listening. This week's choice of song is, well, it's a big one, and it's probably going to be one you're familiar with, but maybe you don't know the real story behind the song itself. This is Achilles' Last Stand, taken from Led Zeppelin's album Presence from 1976. It's a monster of a... Prospect. Why is this song on the list then, I guess, is the first question. Well, with all of these pieces of music, you can separate them. You can, you can kind of carve the songs up into performance, imagination, and um, the kind of weave that holds it, that kind of pulls it together, which could be melody, a, ly- a repeat of a lyrical line or a guitar line or, or any kind of musical reference that comes back and pulls you back into stuff, you know. Even Coltrane does that, you know, on Love Supreme or Blue Train. But um, so with Achilles' Last Stand, the music, I was so fortunate to be around so many amazingly gifted players. And and if you think about Led Zeppelin as being a trio, uh, really, with a kind of wedding singer stuck up the front, that's I always saw the reality of what was going on in, in uh, my enthusiasm was a good contribution, but in truth, those guys were amazing and and I think Achilles last stand was um, one of those it was an un- uncomfortable time recording the album from which it arrived, which was presence um, but in that it was a disparate time. I was in a wheelchair for seven months or whatever it was at that time. But the music was continuing to be developed. And uh, even though Presence is not always the most comfortable listen, in terms of, I think I'll just settle down with my girlfriend with a glass of wine and listen to Presence. You might have to go 
and uh, you know go and stand in the corner for a bit. But the interplay and the melding of the musicality of those three guys on that track is insane. Yeah, absolutely insane. It's magnificent and uh, so magnificent. I had a lady friend who I was playing. It came on in the house loud and she said, I don't want to be left in a room with this on my own because it's so intense. It's brilliant. So what was I going to do? I was lying uh, horizontal in a bed in the Continental Riot House in L.A. Uh, it was Halloween 1975. I was in a room on my own in this dodgy old hotel while the world was playing hijinks outside and the whole place was, you know going in a totally different direction to me and my bad leg and my bad arm. So I started writing about freedom and escape. And um, and the, the whole thing, the, the preparation throughout the song is to be gone to a place which is a reward um, aesthetically in beauty and space and air and stuff and it was basically about the Atlas Mountains about going back to Morocco where the mighty arms of Atlas hold the heavens from the earth is just like um, uh, it's not a yes song uh, <laughs> it's not something from tales of topographical oceans but um, it was just, I was so desperate to get away from that, being trapped in that environment, you know, to hop off the bed into the wheelchair and have somebody push me around. And I was saying, let's get out of here. I'd rather be on the side of the mountains in Oregon or Asni in Morocco than be in the right house. Um, I, and really, in truth, Mostly wherever I am, even now, all these years later, I really want to be there, <laughs> or the, it's equivalent. So it, it's about the, lyrically, I suppose, about the dynamic of the life that I lead, what we all put ourselves through as entertainers and musicians and writers, and, and the panacea, the, the, the cure, the fix, which is what Achilles' Last Stand is all about, really. It's about getting heading towards the fix. Tell me about that first trip to Morocco then, as it's a place that obviously still continues to have a considerable pull on you, but... Well, I was there three weeks ago for my uh, <coughs> <Jesus> birthday. Your <laughs> birthday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But that first trip, I guess it, it wasn't quite as easy as nipping on a BA flight. No, no. And uh, getting off at a nice duty-free airport and getting a taxi to a a well-appointed hotel, I guess it was a bit different. It was 1972, and um, John Anderson, talking about tales of topographic oceans, John had been to Morocco, and when I was, when I left home, I spent a lot of time in the inner city areas around the Midlands, so I was pretty close proximity-wise, but nowhere near close in understanding and comprehension to... Uh, Gujarati people and Punjabis and uh, West Indians and 
I could hear all these different musical forms along with obviously the jolt of culture because I came from a, like a, a cul-de-sac at the bottom of some National Trust land and went to a grammar school. So I kind of whooshed into this really colourful world of sound and vision, if you like. So I was at home with the scale, the musical scales and the, the kind of the whole idea of a vocal line. I was quite prepared not to ever understand what a singer was talking about, but just be taken by what's going on. And if you think about it, the number of people around the world who really sing Beatles songs or whatever it is and they don't speak English, I mean, it's the same sort of thing. So as far as it goes with, um, you know, with Morocco, it was really, was a bit of a gamble because it was a kind of closed shop. There wasn't a great deal going on, but there was a hippie culture there and it was really frowned on badly, big time. There was a lot of uh, stuff going on up in the Katama. Brian Jones had been up there with some recording equipment and recorded the the pipes of Jujuka. Um, and that in the north there, that was an area that I didn't really, I was more interested in just seeing what it's like to get near to the Sahara. Um, so to go to Marrakesh was a kind of halfway house that the city itself was quite a lot different to what it is now. It's, you know, I think second language there's Russian now. But um, it was so stimulating and so exciting and um, overwhelming the bustle and, and, uh, and the, <laughs> the absolutely ridiculous way we were like lambs to the slaughter with the sort of way that people work on you in those places in the street and the hustlers and stuff it was fantastic uh, <laughs> did you I come mean, back with a lot of a lot of stuff you didn't yeah i came back with <laughs> with a rug that used to walk around the room on its own and um we had to have the house fumigated and uh, it, but all that stuff is neither here that's just occupational hazard but were you were you seen as interlopers were these sort of long-haired rock types seen as being I think that they didn't ever that nobody was really that impressed by us um Hendrix had been in Essaouira on the Atlantic coast and there'd been some stuff going down there that was that to this day hasn't been solved he went to uh, to a valley on the way to Agadir from there and there was also uh, where there was supposed to be a uh, a torrent, what you call it, a waterfall thing. There was loads and loads of mystical stuff going on where European hippies had been somewhere implicated in some, some skullduggery. It was basically culture being super um, sensitive and, uh, you know, what's going on with these people? Why are they like this? Quite rightly, why? They missed Woodstock in Morocco. They never actually had that on the TV. So it was, the whole move was a different thing out there. But anyway, by and large, I found it to be the most amazing experience I've ever had. Really? Yeah, it just cascaded more and more into beauty and absurdities. I mean, because the great personality of the Moroccan at large is just they're just so funny they're such fantastic people because they'll tell you anything and with the most the experiences I've had have been obviously I'm considered to be a, a kind of ATM some sort anybody uh, especially now as I've been going there now for 
46 years or whatever it is, um, I know quite a lot of guys who used to hustle in the square in Marrakesh, in the Dejima Elfna, and they, they were always looking to, for a better way, and they'd come up to me, and they gave up with me in the end. They couldn't get anything out of me. They probably had their best bit on the first couple of trips. And then they married German tourists and went off to Dusseldorf, and then five years later came back cursing the European way you know, I went to America to live. I mean, that's how it goes. You, um, so as the time went on, I, I was able more and more to feel comfortable and really stimulated by the, the ever unfolding joy, humor, and beauty of Morocco. You mentioned you were in a wheelchair during the calling of that. We, we, should probably, we should probably touch on that, how you ended up there, because it was... There was no guarantee you were going to recover no. completely after that accident, was there? No, it was it was um, it was a hell of a time because it was such an important time in life where you need to have everything operating. You know, my wife and I—we had two kids. Um, I suppose it was the most ridiculous thing to find that, as a family, we were completely torn asunder for a, a period of months, you know. It was a very difficult thing to get it anywhere near back together again. And of course, Maureen, my wife, she was in a wheelchair too, because she'd smashed herself up. And uh, she was really, she had a fractured skull, all sorts of stuff going on. Her leg was smashed to bits. And, and uh, she was here in London. She was in chronic pain for years and years. I remember Linda McCartney used to go around and see her with, I think, Lulu or somebody, and they, to see her <laughs> where she was staying. And they used to call us Robert and Morphine because she was in such jib. On October the 29th, I think it was this year, we finished our 77th show of this tour. And uh, we played with Van Morrison in, in Dublin and uh, went to bed finally. And four hours later, we were on our way to Marrakesh for a great salutation for my turning, you know, passing over the um, the equator in my life. How was the party? Well, it was great. We got, we, we got there very late at night on the day of, on the day of the four hour sleep. And then the next morning, Carmen, my daughter said, okay, we leave at eight, dad, and it's gonna be an 11 hour drive. So off we went over the Atlas Mountains. And I know nearly every turn in that road, cause I got, I just know it. And the roads are improving now. And some of them are like three, four lane here and there going over the mountains, but it's still one of those journeys that you have to go and have a have a shower afterwards. It's so at times the the uh, camber of the road, the whole deal. It's just like 
you're looking over the edge of 3,000 foot drops and stuff and you're on your way south you know towards the desert I mean Wednesday I'm going to be going back up to the Welsh mountains with my dog it's time I need to come to terms with stopping you know if I put the brakes on People say, well, you know, you haven't been to Australia for a couple of three years. No, I don't want to go to Australia. I, w I want to feel something from them. what I do when I get to a place. I want, you know, I want to go further out. Are you going to find it hard to stop? I'll never stop. <laughs> I mean, just take a break. Now, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the dog about it <laughs> when I get up there. Um, yeah, so Morocco is a, it's a great, uh, it's a great place. The humour just the fun of it so long as you have a smile on your face that's a damn good that's 80% of it the, the, the regime I think with all people really That was Digging Deep with Robert Plant, episode three. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, tap the subscribe button so you don't miss our next episode. And of course, that's the best way to go and listen to previous shows from the Digging Deep series. And at Robert Plant and robertplant.com are your best locations for information on Robert and his upcoming plans. I've been Matt Everett. Thanks for listening. This has been a Cup and Nuzzle production. <laughs>